Hey, Breasties. I just wanted to thank all of you so very much for listening to us these past few months. We were so overwhelmed with gratitude to learn that we have listeners all across the globe, including at least one in Austria, where, fun fact, is where I was born. Also ein ganz besonderes Hallo an dich, meine liebe Österreicher. That's just a little special shout-out for you. We could not have come this far without you, Breasties. Like a good bra, you've supported us through every episode, and I just wanted to let you know how you can help our baby podcast grow. We recently launched a Patreon where you can become a patron and get access to ad-free episodes as well as some bonuses we're still cooking up for you. We have $5, $10, and $20 per month levels. Every little bit helps, and you can sign up at our website at theverybreastpodcastever.com. If you're not in a position to donate right now, that's okay too. You can still help us by following us on Instagram, sharing our content, engaging with us, recommending guests to us, and most importantly, telling your breasties about the very breast podcast ever. That's my story, breasties. Back to the show. This is a show about breasts and the people who have them, from bras and sexuality to health and everyday life. This is the very breast podcast ever. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, Breasties. Welcome back. Before I jump in, I do want to give a small trigger warning that in this episode, we will be discussing sexual violence and rape. I'm Nadia Figueroa, and I'm a bra designer. The Very Breast podcast producer ever, Alyssa McHugh, and I are back from our little break with something a little bit different for our amazing listeners. This episode, we're going to do kind of a profile on a friend and former classmate of mine who has, in her own words, found brightness in places that are dark to create a little corner of goodness in the world of breasts. Adriana Graham is a small business owner and philanthropist. She's the creator, owner, and founder of Adriana Dietra, a boutique in Ithaca, New York. Along with selling small batch handmade body care goods that she makes herself, like bar soaps, beard oils, and massage candles, Adriana sells her line of personally designed, beautiful luxury lingerie. Her gorgeous creations have an ethereal, almost gothic, and just pretty aesthetic with empowering names like the perfectly imperfect triangle bra or my personal favorite, the praise your quirks thong. To be honest, every one of these garments are something that I would love to put on. 
And if something from her line doesn't suit your fancy, Adrena also creates custom pieces, including specialty pieces for people going through mastectomies or other breast surgery recovery, folks who are transitioning, and in her own words, anything created from her clients' most vivid imaginations. I'll let Adrena tell you more about her lingerie business. But before that, let me tell you how I met her. We were intimate apparel design students at the Fashion Institute of Technology way back when from 2010 to 2012. The fashion design program at FIT is intensive. The workrooms close at 2 a.m. and often when our projects were due, even that wasn't enough time. Of course, we weren't curing cancer, and I can look back on it now with hindsight and say that, but the hours that we maintained rivaled med students' schedules. The main impression I had of Adriana was that she was quiet. She didn't talk to me or most of our classmates much and often kind of just disappeared into the background of our own drama and all-nighters. As I said, the design program was hard, and often it seemed like Adriana had an especially difficult time of it. She was singled out by faculty a lot because she was often late for class, and towards the end of our time there, her attendance was often spotty, and I remember her kind of just disappearing altogether as we got closer to graduation. But the other thing that I remember about Adriana was that she was an incredibly talented designer. Her sketches and art projects were beautiful, the type that we looked at as little girls and inspired us to become fashion designers. As time went on after we graduated and we all went our separate ways, I slowly saw Adriana pop up on my social media feed. She had started a company, Adriana Dietra, and that thought that I had when I looked at her projects back in school came back up every time I saw her post a new design. Adriana seemed like a new woman. There was confidence in her new self that I had never seen before, and I reached out to her to tell her how much I admired her and how far she had come. The most important thing that I learned from Adriana may sound like a cliche, but it was to never, ever judge a book by its cover. The quiet girl that I remember from college had a story behind her eyes I could never have even imagined. That story is best told by Adriana herself. But I learned that during our time together at school, Adriana had actually struggled with homelessness and domestic abuse at the hands of her boyfriend and future father of her children. She was able to get out of that relationship eventually, and in the years since then, she has created something truly beautiful in her little boutique in Ithaca. When I interview our guests, I usually try to center the conversation primarily about breasts. We are the very breast podcast ever, aren't we? But Adrina's story was so touching to me that I wanted to include it in its entirety. Adrina is a mom of two beautiful children, and during our interview, her son and daughter kept making sneaky little appearances, creeping up behind Adrina and stealing little glances with the camera. Adrina has a whimsical, soothing way of speaking, which she was actually a little nervous about when I first asked her to be on the podcast. She told us her story from the lowest lows to the highest highs and kept talking to us even after we stopped recording. She's a pioneer, a warrior, an artist, and a survivor. Let's welcome Miss Adriana Graham to the very breast podcast ever. Okay, so welcome to the very breast podcast ever, Adriana. Thank you so much for joining us. Can you introduce yourself to our audience? Yeah, so my name is Adriana Dietra Graham. I am the CEO and creative director of Adriana Dietra, and I there create luxury lingerie and apothecary goods um, and kind of keep a super body pause, um, sex friendly, um, open mind about 
pretty much all the garments and things that I produce and the people that will be enjoying them. So I definitely, as a child, was always into anything that had to do with art, design, creativity, and the thing that held most to me was fashion because it was ever-changing. And I found myself just being constantly inspired by all the things of the world, especially the stuff that people were not normally inspired by. So walking by, say, like, I don't know, one of the, the dripping, um, something dripping down a wall or so, and just noticing how it pools and collects at the bottom will be like a colorway or something like that for me. So it was definitely always a thing that um, made me feel I had so many ideas. The only thing that was so quickly changing to where I could get all of these out was the world of fashion. Um, being at school, getting one of the under fashion club scholarships is what made me definitely dive into lingerie. I was very into handwork detailing. It, for me, was my stress and anxiety relief. And so the only things that I had not already had some formal training in was either children's wear or lingerie. And for me, lingerie just felt like that thing that's in a dimension of its own. So that's kind of how it got started. And it just kind of grew from there. Yeah, it sounds like you really find beauty kind of in unexpected places. Would you say that's always been your aesthetic or has that changed at all? I would absolutely say that's definitely been my aesthetic <laughs> um, from the start. I normally would, I think a lot of it came from just so much that happened as I was younger as a child and even into my adult years, um, I always tried to find ways to make the situation a little better or think of it in a brighter light. Um, there have definitely been times where it's almost consumed me for lack of better words, but um, I think always being able to find the brightness in a place that's dark, it, it kind of was something that flowed evenly with just my mindset when it came to people as well just knowing that that darkness had to most of the time come from somewhere um, how can I get to the bottom of it and then make it something beautiful again so in starting your company what kind of darknesses or struggles did you have to overcome um, so during, I don't, I don't even know if this was actually even known back then, but during the time that we were in school, um, I started dating my children's father and, um, while with him, there were times where we were homeless. Normally it was because of something that he decided not to put in or do in the last minute or, it became kind of a, um, a really, for lack of better words, huge domestic abuse situation. And I think it kind of polarized towards the end of school, which is why I got to a point where I was kind of intermittent there. And um, it kind of exploded to where being there, I almost couldn't 
I, I couldn't really focus on school. So I actually dropped out that final year um, and then had to come back. I was homeless several times being with him. I was homeless while I was initially pregnant with um, my son and um, my, my children actually also were the product of forcefully um, having intercourse with their dad in times. And um, so a lot of that kind of bubbled and pooled at the end of being at FIT. Um, and it kind of like put things on the back burner a bit. And um, once I finally did find my way out of all of that, um, fast forwarding, I was able to kind of get my footing on things and, and pretty much start over from scratch and um, kind of came to the point where I am now. Due to the pandemic, Adriana recently faced being homeless again. But this time around, she was in a position in her life where she was better able to care for herself and her family. She thought back on times that she'd been homeless in the past and decided it was time to give back. Adriana's personal experiences inspired her to reach out and use her business as a platform to help others in need. Knowing that there were so many others with similar stories to hers, she recently launched the Ife Project, a Kickstarter project still in its infancy that she's using to provide donations of sanitary products to local pantries, shelters, and community donation boxes. The word Ife comes from Yoruba, a West African language, and means love. According to the nonprofit organization Help Women Period, on any given day, around 800 million people are menstruating around the world, and at least 5 million of those people don't have access to adequate resources, including sanitary products. Although it is a global issue, it may surprise some of our listeners that this issue of what is called menstrual equity exists here at home in the United States as well. If you have a period, imagine if you didn't have access to tampons, pads, or any other menstrual device such as a cup or disc. What if you didn't even know to ask for them? Could you go to school if you were bleeding? Could you go to work? Would you even feel comfortable enough to leave the house? It's an issue that until very recently was seldom talked about. A 2017 Newsweek article by Abigail Jones states, quote, Since 2016, 24 states have introduced legislation to exempt menstrual products from sales tax. Compare that with 2015, when 40 out of the 50 states taxed tampons and pads as luxury items. You could buy bagged salads in Colorado, BBQ sunflower seeds in Indiana, and golf memberships in Rhode Island, all tax-free, but you couldn't purchase a single menstrual product in those states without being taxed, end quote. To this day, menstrual health products are not covered by SNAP. And incidentally, it doesn't cover toilet paper, diapers, toothpaste, shampoo, or deodorant either. And a 2021 study called The State of the Period found that 23% of students in the U.S. struggle with period poverty or a lack of access to menstrual sanitary products. The study found that this was a problem that had only been made worse by the pandemic and school closures. And no surprise, students of color, lower income students, and rural students were most impacted. The IFE project is starting out by providing organic tampons, pads, liners, and bar soaps in resealable pouches, and soon will expand to donating bras and underwear. Yeah, so the IFE project pretty much launched from one of the latest uh, times that I found myself in such a great need 
there was a place my children and I were renting and the day of my ribbon cutting after I opened the first shop, the place was condemned because there were electrical issues and such within the home that the landlord did not want to fix. So we ended up having to leave and for almost a month were homeless before we could find a place we could move into. And I recall in that moment and then thinking back to all of these other times that I've had when it came to their father, every single time we were in those moments, I just kind of happened to be able to just kind of grab and buy what we needed and then I thought about that like not everyone has that privilege to be able to say oh well I have to live out of a hotel for xyz amount of time you know what I need sanitary products I need clothes for the kids and I have no time to be able to get these things I need basic underwear um, I have no time to be able to get them I have no money to be able to just drop at the store and buy them or in a situation like with our place being condemned um, we had no light in there to be able to even see to find things to pull it out to say okay well I need these things um, and so fast forwarding once the pandemic came, I started thinking about that too, where people already were in such a hard time to where if any one little thing went wrong, they didn't have these basic necessities to grab. And so now people are jobless on top of already having these issues. And then you couple that with the fact that these are things that normally are not donated to um, shelters or to uh, pantries and, and other forms of um, donation things. You have to go through particular programs or it's something that's done like maybe once or twice a year, but sorry, I have a period 12 times, like, at least. So, um, I was gonna ask, I never even thought to donate, first of all, mm -hmm. like tampons or pads. Mm -hmm. or it never even occurred to me, which is wild now that you're saying. Right. <laughs> so like, I can't just bring that to my local, like, shelter or food bank or anything and say, I hypothetically you're supposed to be able to like like they they tell you you can donate anything that would be of necessity for people there are certain places that are specifically for food sovereignty so they don't have anything else that you would be able to donate because all they do is work in food sovereignty they may not have anywhere to store it but places that are like um uh like I would suspect Salvation Army and such like that. Hypothetically, you should be able to donate undergarments and such too. They probably wouldn't take, say, used ones or so, obviously, but um, like you should be able to donate things like that to these places as well, or even the gigantic boxes that are left around. But no one does that. No one really thinks to do that. And I think it's because underwear in itself is this thing that's so taboo that people don't really think about it on a daily anyway, even though it's so common. It's like yeah. riding a bike. Yeah. Um, so these things are not available and some people actually need them. Maybe they have, maybe their breast mass is, is, is so heavy that they need that for the support. Mm -hmm. Or in the case of say someone that's, 
uh, on their cycle, they, they may need underwear to hold their pad in, or maybe they need underwear that is like period underwear so that they don't have to worry about tampons and pads and such. And then with that too, it's just like to not have tampons and pads or some other form of, um, collection device like a cup or 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 so to not have those things during that period in itself then creates another need um like for like period sovereignty you can't go to work if you're bleeding all over the place you can't go to school these are things that are actually really huge they, they came over here as being really huge things in Africa, but honestly, they're, they're issues all over the world. It's, yeah, so. And, and maybe also the people who need them grew up with the same stigma that we grew up with, which is that you just don't talk about it. So they may be afraid to ask for it. Right, and that was the reason why for the Ife project, my thoughts were here, um, we have these cabinets, they're um, mutual aid cabinets, so we can put things in there that are needed necessities and such. Um, so I did it to where the packaging for these were pretty streamlined with my normal store packaging, as opposed to just popping a few boxes of tampons or something like that in there. That way, when someone goes there or if they go to the shelter or go to the um, um, some other donation pantry or so to pick things up, they don't have to worry about whether or not someone's going to notice like, oh my God, they're picking up tampons. Like, um, it is, I, I just feel like it's, 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 imp it's as important to make it as normalized as possible as it is to provide these things for people when they're in need because they may not know how to ask for them or like you said to ask for them period um, especially if say it's like a young person maybe they ended up having their first cycle mm -hmm. and don't know how to speak about it exactly don't want to ask about it and then like they can have these places where they can just grab things pick them up and be able to um, at least kind of get themselves started until they're comfortable speaking um, and we'll definitely include a link in our show notes for how our listeners can help with the Ife project. Um, I think that it's really amazing that with all these experiences behind you, you talked about finding brightness in places of darkness. You've really done that. And I, I love that you've come into your own and started this beautiful brand um, and this project, which is just a, an amazing thing. What do you feel like is missing from the bra industry as a whole, as someone who's a member of the bra industry, what do you feel like is or was missing from the bra industry? Um, I'm, I'm, I like that you phrased it as is and was. <laughs> um, I remember when I used to work in a um, lingerie boutique there in the city, it was very common for people to come in that needed maternity mastectomy and such like that undergarments that were not just thrown in as like an afterthought or some temporary stage because for some of these 
folks, it was maybe a temporary thing. With others, it was reoccurring enough to where they needed it on a long-term scale. And I remember this one person coming in and literally breaking down into tears because um, she was pregnant unexpectedly, which I resonated with in itself. And then she's trying on all these undergarments and they don't fit because one, the sizing of course is very different. There's um, certain things where some people feel like this is what I feel comfortable in. They wear that particular size. But then once your body starts changing for pregnancy, it feels like there's such a drastic shift because of the size they were initially wearing. So that was traumatizing for her, um, not having anything that just looked really nice. It, it, it kind of gave off that feel of mm, this life stage is happening. So that means my life is over when really that's not what it has to be. Um, and that kind of hit me really hard to where I felt there should really be no reason why anyone that comes in with something that is really normal in life, um, going through cancer, having children, or even um, just needing just basic underwear that for them had certain functions for what it is that they do in their life, to me, there, there was no reason for someone to have to walk in and go to a quote-unquote specialty store for, for something that is technically not special. It's normal, everyday life. Um, so it was very important to me to create something where, yes, every person in their own right are special to some extent, but these garments are a part of everyday life. You could wear them now during this stage and continue to wear them past that stage. Or you can wear them just during this stage and it still be cute enough, sexy enough for you to still feel like you're that exuberant person you were before life hit you. It, I, I feel at that time, um, nobody was really trying to do that. Um, same with alterations on lingerie. It was just, oh, it doesn't fit anymore, throw it out. Um, where you could do the same things that you do to ready to wear and everything else to undergarments, but no one was doing that. Mm -hmm. And no one wanted to hear that in the shop either, <laughs> except for, of course, the other sales girls I worked with. And, um, so I was kind of under the table doing alterations for people and stuff too at, <laughs> at Giselle, actually. <laughs> um, That's so, amazing. Yeah, it, it like it just got to the point where it's like, this is just so necessary. Why does this not exist? And when no one was listening, I was like, you know what? Fuck it, I'm doing it myself. <laughs> <laughs> and then this is how it came about. And actually, you know, it's it's genius, but it's also so obvious. I've never even thought of it. Of course you could alter a bra. Why not? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Like, um, I love that. When you are working with customers in your own company now, in your own lingerie store, do you ever find it hard for them to, or do they ever find it hard to talk about their own breasts? There, I, I say it definitely ranges. Um, I've had people come in and, and like, there's this one woman walked by and she's like, oh, you must help make a lot of babies. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's other people that'll walk by and look utterly confused and just like scurry off. Um, as a kid, to me, everyone was very, very secretive about underwear, undergarments. Whereas now, I think there's that mix. But again, some people, after they come in and get that understanding, that education on it, it kind of turns them around and they realize, oh, this is actually an okay thing. There's nothing wrong with me liking the underwear I'm wearing. I got to a point where... I initially opened, I was selling out in like two weeks of all the stuff that was there. Like it almost got to the, to a point where I was just like throwing stuff like this is all I have left. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I, I think I actually sold some of the stuff I made at FIT in the store because I literally just had nothing. Um, and the, it was a micro retail space. So it was it was just so tiny. I couldn't backstock. I had nowhere to live at the time. So there was nowhere to even, I couldn't even like say, keep stuff at my house to just have space to stock stuff. So I would make maybe like one or two things and put it out there. And then people come by and just grab it up literally right after I hang it on the rack and such. 
so it just got to a point where I knew I needed to upscale, which I did, to the storefront I'm in now, only a year later. And um, of course, that opening happened right when the COVID shutdowns were happening. But um, because of that, and knowing that like the events that I had were canceled and such, it kind of um, it kind of threw me back to where I started bottlenecking again. And so I ended up having to outsource because it just became not feasible for me to sit trying to make every single garment that came into the shop. Um, you were literally sewing them all yourself? I was literally sewing them all myself. Wow. I sewed every <laughs> single garment from start to finish. I make That's every incredible. single apothecary good. I still make every single apothecary good. Um, I only just stopped sewing the undergarments and I've been like turning people away because I'm just like, I really just need for this core collection to just be outsourced and come in and be on the rack, live its best life in the time that it lives, and then just do the custom things because it was it was really insane. Just like trying to raise my kids on top of stocking the store, on top of also working in the store. It was a lot. <laughs> like I think if I were literally just doing one hundred percent custom pieces as like a niche there then that may be feasible but only if I'm charging that type of price but how many of us are right now <laughs> swimming in the money <laughs> to be able to like do that and I also just want my stuff to be more accessible than that and I do still want to have that as an option because I do feel having those custom pieces, um, having something that's fitted and tailored to your body definitely has a much different impact on your um, like mentally, physically, it, it just, it does something to you. You mentioned also that you had to close your storefront after COVID hit. Um, how did that affect your business? It was insane in a good and a not good way. Um, for me, the issue was being a single mom. Not only did my business close, the, the, the schools closed. Mm -hmm. So I had to have my children with me 24 seven, which normally, um, even though we shouldn't necessarily count for school to be babysitters, it, it kind of becomes a thing. Um, and you also can't have like your normal typical babysitters all the time if like in the case of my children, they have respiratory issues. So I was really concerned with me having them go to a daycare when daycares did reopen or even having someone that would constantly come to our place. So I kind of had to step back because I also, I was supposed to be in Salem during that time too, um, at the uh, Daughters of Darkness event that they have out there. And I was expecting that to be like part of the incoming cash flow, um, just reopening the store after doing that, have like two weeks to make the stuff to sit in there. 
I didn't even finish painting. I barely started painting when COVID happened. So um, I had to sit, do everything pretty much from home while my two um, neurodivergent children are like running and like throwing shit behind me. So like <laughs> it got to a point where I decided to completely step back from any of the design stuff. Um, and initially I was trying to hold on because I had an employee that had just moved up from Brooklyn to work and everything too. For the sake of just being able to step back, I decided to make masks to donate and I was putting these positive affirmations in them, like handwriting them. And every time I tried to donate to someone, they're like, the hell is wrong with you? I'm paying you for this. <laughs> <laughs> so that ended up happening. And then I finally decided to finish doing all the painting and everything. Um, my shelving came in five months later <laughs> and um, like the, the racks and stuff. So I finally put everything together to finally just reopen the shop. It's been like a really long, year-long segue into mm -hmm. where we are now. Um, yeah. Do you feel like you're in a better place now than you were when it when it all started? I 1,000% do. There's so many things that have come from, honestly, just me opening up about where I need help. Um, where I didn't feel I could before because it always l led to me being taken advantage of um, both in the industry as well as outside of it. Um, I think finally opening up to someone that I at least vetted enough to feel like this person would actually be willing to help or know how to help definitely opened up Pandora's box in a good way to where I now have so many things in place. I'm so beyond grateful for like not just myself but also my children and knowing that I can provide something a little better for them and a, a more open environment than I know I had as a child. Um, safer environment I, I can't even, I can go on forever with how much of a better place we're in right now. You're a mom of both a boy and a girl and breast perception is something that's formed pretty much at an early age. How would you like each of your kids to perceive breasts as they grow up? Um, I definitely, even now, teach them that it's normal. It's something that comes, sometimes it goes. Um, we constantly, based off of however they're reacting and interacting with stuff, so we say we should probably have our own TV show with all the stuff that goes down in here, <laughs> um, just based off how they interact with each other as well as others around them, trying to teach them that breasts and, and other things are normal parts of life and to also not take advantage of these things that are around you. Um, so speaking with my son about how my daughter, if she feels like she's comfortable wearing or doing something, and in this instance, um, the, the latest thing has been a two-piece 
bathing suit. So she wants, she, well, she has now a bikini. She also has a one piece, but that was an argument in itself. <laughs> um, so trying to explain to him that she can wear these types of things, it's okay. Um, but also just knowing that it's, it's not for someone else to determine um, someone else's body, how they display it, how they don't display it. Um, and then with my daughter, the positivity of, of being self-aware of her body and um, also how sometimes other people may react or so when it comes to bodies to, to also be perceptive that um, even if you yourself are in such a good space with this. You're happy, you're free, you're positive. Someone else may not be, but also don't then take that in and and feel like you then need to feel about your, your breasts, your body, the way someone else does. Um, so yeah. That's such an important thing to teach that concept so early and, and body positivity for me personally was something that was not really something I achieved until my adulthood. And I love hearing that you're, you're teaching both your children to love themselves and to understand consent and to understand all these things from such an early age. It's so important to build that foundation. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I, I, it definitely was the same for me as well. Um, I remember very poignant conversations about um, being called a harlot and all this other suchness. Um, like even from my own mother, it was like a lot where wearing any type of thing, even even as I became an adult, I, I remember actually even a few years ago, our relationship is pretty strained. Um, so I just kind of remembered the way I felt about myself and my body growing up and I think everything that I've been teaching my children about, it's been just a reflection of what I know I did not like as I was growing up and things that I know that it, it, it's, it's, again, like normal things that should constantly be spoken about so that you don't have people out here um, like trying to run and, and rape and grope because they've been so sheltered and hidden from these things. And of course, in some cases, it's also, that's also like mental instabilities and such. But I think some of the things that we deal with in society today are because people are so sheltered and it just depends on your own mental state as to how you react to that when you do become a free and open adult whether you go the way of being super like, oh, we should be positive about this, or if you go the way of I'm going to take what I want when I want as I like to. What do you think it means to be a small business owner in America today, and more specifically, a female Black business owner? What What do you think that means to you personally? Um, I feel like that's something I kind of still ask myself, to be honest. Um, me, myself, as being a black owner, as being a woman owner, I think it's more of a boom happening now than especially when I was first trying to break into the industry. Um, but it's a thing that's still 
Um, I think people still have these negative connotations or assumptions that you don't know what you're doing if you're black or if you're a woman, um, even in lingerie, funny enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think for me, it's, it's, it's empowering to be of those and be within a business at all, let alone the lingerie industry. But I think more are needed in the forefront, um, visually being there, um, because it then also gives that, that, that notion, it's kind of like the, the representation matters Mm -hmm. movement where the more you see this happening as a normal thing, the more people will think, you know what, I could do that too. Um, not feel like, mm, this is only for like cis white men or mm, only like this type of person can do this type of job. Um, seeing other people Um, especially, again, women and Black folks doing um, big things in any industry. I think it's it's very needed for youth to feel there's something that they can grow into as opposed to feeling very tunneled into particular positions or professions and such like that. Um, we can be owners too. You don't have to sit on the sidelines or yeah. work and make someone else's money for them. So, where can our customers donate to the Efe project, or also where can they buy your product? Yeah, so anyone can definitely go to the website. It's just www.adrinadietra.com. Um, I do have a super huge social media foot any of those places will funnel you to any of the others and um for the ife project there's not yet a link for the straight through donations but there will be one of those there's actually still some things in development for it so again the website is the best way people can sign up for updates and um see when like the pins and all of that will launch where people can buy to have donated or buy to have a portion of it used within the project. So we ask all of our guests to answer a few rapid fire questions. Um, do you have time for a couple questions? Sure. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, are you checking if your kids are around? <laughs> I just heard one of them in the, in the, the kitchen. It's like, oops, someone's in there. Yeah. All right. What do you call your breasts? Uh, boobs. <laughs> <laughs> What's your least favorite word for breasts? Tatas. It, I don't know. It's like something that's like baby-like to me. Tatas. I don't. I don't know. Just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I think it's some baby's first word. Tata. <laughs> Does it? That's. Probably. Yeah, I say boobs. Every now and again, I'll say boobies, but speaking to my daughter. But for the most part, I'll say boobs because it's just kind of like that in-between things because I don't want to say like 
the other word, the <laughs> other T word, <laughs> and then have her at school saying it, and then I'm getting called up or something. It's like boobs is like that happy in between word when, when you have kids. <laughs> it's a nice friendly word. Yeah, yeah. Um, what is your favorite thing about your breasts or something special? Um, I, I, I like their, their buoyancy, their fullness. They have their own life. Um, it's like times I'll just be in the mirror brushing my hair or doing something. It's like, oh, hi guys. (laughs) 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 Yeah. I don't know. They, they're, they, they have a life of their own. (laughs) What do you think is the hardest part of having breasts? Um, I think for me, the hardest part right now, it, it it was actually very particular for me, the sizing, because they've always, like all breasts are two different size anyway, but I, I have like almost like a cup, cup and a half difference. And um, I've always had this kind of um, uh, thought question whether or not I possibly there was actually something wrong um I'm I'm actually going in for cancer testing um so for me that's kind of been a thing that has followed me the entire time I feel like my the only thing that I can think of as an answer of that question is just such a personal one I think it just overshadows everything uh fear of cancer is something that I think as we've been asking people that question, that's been a really common answer as that being the heart. And I think that's the answer for me also. That's the hardest, that's the hardest thing of having breasts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I had to actually also explain that to my children because um, I got the, the, the notice in the mail of when the, the one of the imaging testing, because I have to um, have imaging like MRI and such. And, um, I had to explain to them what that was because my son can read now. So he'll just like see stuff over my shoulder and just like, okay, I can't really lie about anything, but um, just kind of explaining that. But then that goes into an educational moment so they can also understand like the different stages that breasts may have. It went into um, them asking, okay, Ma, if you do have cancer, then what happens to your boobs? And just explaining the the differences that there can be, like maybe they get cut off, maybe mm-hmm. a piece gets cut off, um, maybe they don't, um, just depends on where and how it is. Um, so yeah, that's that's been a, a a big thing for me. Cancer in general runs in my family, so I've just always kind of had moments. I've had um, several scares, even while we were in FIT. I, I actually had to go in. So yeah, that's definitely the big thing on my mind when it comes to my negative thoughts of mm-hmm. them. Do you remember your first bra? I do not. I think that was one of those moments where everything kind of blanked out for me. Um, It was a traumatic time for me. 
I remember at some point I did have this like minty green foam cup something from Victoria's Secret, um, like a 34C, even though I was closer to like a 28 or 26 band, like probably CD cup. Um, but yeah, I, I remember having that for the longest time. I had a few bras after that that my aunt gave to me that she had that she kind of passed down and, and such and um yeah other than that I, I feel like I don't even remember the whole process of having breasts it was just we're there yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um what type of bra do you prefer and why I prefer non-lined bras I prefer them to have wire um in some cases I like wire other cases I don't but I prefer definitely sheer bras I love the appeal the sexiness of it I love that it it defines my actual shape instead of making me into a particular shape um I like the wire for the the lift yeah but um in the same light I also kind of love wearing wireless bras so that I can um like, I don't know why, but I kind of like that, that thought of them just not fitting in there <laughs> quite properly. Um, I don't know. There's just something so alluring and, 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 and appealing about that to me. What do you do to treat your breasts? Any products or practices, self-care? Um, I honestly, which I probably shouldn't say this as someone that makes lingerie and stuff, <laughs> I actually don't wear bras half the time. <laughs> um, um, I, I find that um, I have certain bras, like I have a few that are particular, I have a few that are particular sizes so that. At this point in the interview, Adriana's adorable daughter couldn't resist the temptation anymore, snuck into the camera view and gave her mom a peck on the cheek. Too cute. <laughs> see i told you they were popping they made it and um, they made it almost a whole hour so. exactly <laughs> um i have a few that are like my my quote-unquote everyday bras probably not everyday for most people they're like super sheer like lacy mesh silk mesh and such but um i have a few of those that i wear for just basic if i'm wearing certain shirts i have to have a bra under it um and then i have a few that are super off the wall like super fancy um like like uh, some Mimi holiday stuff. I've got a lot of Mimi, I've got Bordel, I've got like all of the like really fancy ones that <laughs> um, that I, I, I kind of wear like just depending on what it is that, I, that I'm doing. And I feel um, wearing those during those times end up being what kind of helps shape move them and such but also knowing that I don't necessarily have to wear a bra all the time it doesn't restrict the growth um or um like sensations and such like that um that's probably what I do the most other than that it's just my basic normal body cleansing cleaning routines 
Adriana, thank you so much for joining us. This was such a fantastic conversation and, and we talked about some really heavy stuff and some, some stuff that I think a lot of people need to hear. Um, so thank you again and, and I'm so happy you joined us. Thank you for having me, it's great. <laughs>